Thank you, Jeannie, for reading God's word for us this morning. Uh, hopefully that's a familiar passage to, to you. Uh, back before we were in the book of Matthew, we went through the book of Malachi, and uh, that chapter that Jeannie read for us will certainly connect <laughs> to our passage uh, that we'll be looking at this morning. Now, I don't think uh, that all of you know the story of how Bowen uh, came to be into the world, uh, and so I'm going to share that story with you this morning, uh, without the details, of course, uh, <laughs> certain details anyway. I did clear this with her, so uh, as Chris said to us last week, it's always uh, good to clear with your wife a story before you share it <laughs> in a sermon. Uh, Natalie and I had an appointment uh, scheduled for August 29th, uh, which was Bowen's due date. Now, uh, the night before that, Natalie and I were up pretty late uh, because Natalie didn't feel so good (laughs) uh, leading up to that appointment. Now, uh, at that time, we were kind of questioning, well, was she in labor? Was she not in labor? Did she not feel good? Should we go to the doctors? Uh, Now, later on, after Bowen came, it became pretty clear that she was in the early stages of labor at that point. Now, uh, the next day, uh, after that long night, we went to our appointment, uh, and Natalie was uh, barely dilated. So uh, we were there at the doctor's, and the advice from the doctor was for us to go home and wait. Now, (laughs) obviously, we didn't want to do that uh, because uh, we lived 40 minutes away from the hospital, so we were worried that we would go home, and then things would progress, and then we would have to go back anyway. Now, across the street from uh, where Bowen was born is the Park City Mall in Lancaster. So uh, I thought that maybe things would start to progress pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, maybe we should just go and walk around the mall a little bit and see if that helped to move things along. Uh, Now, uh, Natalie at this point was not comfortable anywhere. (laughs) Not sitting, not standing, uh, not in the waiting room, not in the car, certainly not walking. Uh, And so our trip to the Park City Mall did not last very long. Now me and my infinite wisdom was like, oh, we should just wait. (laughs) Uh, Natalie was not very happy uh, about that. So uh, while we were at the Park City Mall, I did order Burger King uh, and that had to wait until we got home to be eaten uh, because Uh, She did not want to stay at the Park City Mall. So we went home and we tried to wait it out and Natalie began to become more and more uncomfortable. Uh, Eventually, it became pretty clear that we needed to go to the hospital. Uh, And so quickly, we called the doctor on our way there. Uh, And they said that we should probably come in, which was good because we were already on our way uh, in to the hospital. Uh, Now, when we got to the hospital, uh, Natalie was pretty far along, and it was clear that Bowen was coming pretty soon. Now, Bowen did not end up coming on his due date. Uh, He wanted to stay uh, where he was. Uh, (laughs) uh, So he came shortly the next morning, unwillingly, uh, via C-section. Now, uh, this is obviously a great story uh, and one that is somewhat fun to share with all of you. Uh, But here's my point in sharing this with all of you this morning. Uh, Natalie was experiencing labor pain, uh, pain greater than anything that I will ever experience in my life, (laughs) something that I really uh, cannot relate to, uh, what she was experiencing in in those moments. Uh, But I realized, and this is where it connects to our passage in Matthew this morning, uh, 
she was experiencing labor pain because something better was coming. It was painful, but also our baby boy was coming into the world. Now in today's story, Jesus will talk about all that is going wrong in the world, all that will go wrong in the world, and he will talk about it in a similar way. Labor pains, the things that we experience in our world today, are painful because something better is coming. Let me pray for us this morning, uh, and then we'll take a look at our story in the book of Matthew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that sometimes the things in our lives relate really closely to your word. And we thank you that uh, despite the pain of some things that we experience, uh, there is joy to be had after them. So we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you uh, for Jesus who has spoken to us in this way. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Uh, That's where we'll be spending our time together this morning. Uh, Now we're getting pretty close to uh, the end of our time in Matthew. Uh, So if you remember back around Easter time, we started at the end of the book of Matthew, uh, and then we jumped kind of back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we've been going through that. Uh, But in a couple weeks, we'll begin our Advent series, which means that we'll jump all the way back to the beginning of Matthew and look at uh, the birth story of Jesus, which uh, most of us are familiar with. Now, I've broken Matthew chapter 24 up into three sections for us this morning. Uh, First, we'll look at verses 1 through 14, and we'll talk about trusting in Jesus' authority. Then we'll look at verses 15 through 35, and we'll talk about persevering in Jesus' power. Uh, And then finally, verses 36 through 51, and we'll talk about longing for his coming. Let me read uh, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14 for us this morning. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'll pause reading for us there. 
Now, Jesus has just finished his woes to the Pharisees that Chris walked us through last week. Uh, And as Chris repeated for us often last week in his sermon, uh, Jesus said at the end of chapter 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus' disciples, uh, probably a little relieved that these woes weren't against them, that they were against the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they start to ask him some questions, uh, questions about the buildings of Jerusalem. And here, Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem, and it's a pretty grim story. He says, not one stone will be left on another. Usually we like to think about the, the nicer, brighter teachings of Jesus, right? The, the ones about his love and his peace. But Jesus, the greatest prophet of all, had his own proclamations and prophecies of judgment against the world. This is a passage that we like to skip over. Make no mistake about it, Jesus predicts the fall of Jerusalem here. See, this is how we know that the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has been talking about is not an earthly kingdom, because for Jesus, Jerusalem was not long for the world. Its destruction was going to come. And this would come to pass. Jerusalem would be destroyed not long after Jesus died. It was destroyed by the Roman Emperor Titus around 70 AD. Now this was jarring for the disciples of Jesus to hear this from him. They were Jewish people and this was their holy city in Jerusalem was their temple. So they they want to know a little more about what's going on. First, they ask him when this is going to happen. And second, they ask him what the sign will be that he is coming back. See, Jesus had promised to them that he would come back. Jesus, as he often does, he doesn't answer their questions directly. He begins by telling them what not to look for, and he warns them against then what will be coming. Many will come, as Jesus says, claiming to be the Messiah, but not actually being the Messiah. They will deceive many, and some will fall for their tricks. See, there is power in the name of Jesus, as we have seen throughout the book of Matthew. And some will want to claim that power for themselves by falsely claiming to be Jesus. They can fool some. Some will follow them. So the disciples must guard themselves against this. They will also hear of wars or rumors of wars. But here, Jesus tells them, do not be alarmed. These things must happen, he says, but they are not the end. The end will come after them. Wars, famines, natural disasters, those are just the beginning of what Jesus calls the birth pains. And that tells us that, well, things are going to get worse. If this is just the beginning of the birth pains, then something worse will come after. 
And what Jesus says will happen is followers of Jesus will be persecuted and put to death. Nations will hate them. Now, this is not a pretty picture for us who are followers of Jesus. But Jesus says this will happen. Because of this, many will turn from the faith and betray each other. False prophets will appear and will deceive people. And this may be the worst part of this prophecy of all. The love of most will grow cold. It's not a very pretty picture. But Jesus says, whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the fact that the kingdom of heaven has come near, as Jesus has said, that will be preached to all nations. And then here we have Jesus' answer. The end will come. Now these things, I would say, are helpful to us in our immediate moment because there are wars and rumors of wars swirling around us every day in our lives. You turn on the news for one second and that's what you see. Ukraine, Russia, Israel, Gaza, Lebanon, Iran, China, Taiwan, all of that going on in our world today. But here is Jesus saying to us, do not be alarmed by these things. Don't spend your time worrying about these things. Jesus has told us that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom that cannot be destroyed by wars. Because of this, we don't need to worry about wars in earthly kingdoms. We also hear often about the persecution of followers of Jesus in other parts of the world, not here, other parts of the world. Megan Krishna visited with us last week. I'm sad that I wasn't here to listen to what they had to say, but some other people filled me in. Now we wonder, is that persecution coming for us here in the United States? Jesus promises here in this passage, that followers of Jesus will be persecuted. Maybe it will come for us here. If it does, that's okay. And here's why it's okay. This is what Jesus says. He has purchased for us salvation through his death and his sacrifice for us on the cross. He has allowed for us to enter into eternal life if we place our faith in him. So I no longer need to fear for my life, even if I am persecuted, because I know where I am going. Now I will say, one caveat here, it's easy to get discouraged by these things. Yes, it is difficult We don't want to see wars in our world. We don't want to hear about wars. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to hear about persecution happening to others around the world. But we do want Jesus to come back, don't we? In order for Jesus to come back, these things must happen. So we're left with a choice. We can either let them discourage us and spend our time worrying about them, or we can let them point us forward to something better that is to come. Yes, it is painful now. The labor pains 
have started. It's because something better is coming. We can let these things point us forward to the hope that we have. We shouldn't wish for these things. We shouldn't wish for wars. We shouldn't wish for persecution. But we should be prepared for them when it happens. If our response is worry, then the way to correct that response is not by, we'll just stop worrying, right? That's not very helpful. <laughs> the response is not also, well, just do nothing. The antidote for worry is action. Our best action is to share the hope that we have in Jesus with other people. See, if Jesus is coming back, which we believe that he is because he has promised to us that he is coming back, and if we believe that his coming back is the best thing that will ever happen, which he has promised to us that it is, if we believe that at the second coming of Jesus all wrongs will be made right, everything that is wrong in the world will be corrected, then people need to hear about it. If we believe that that is true, that his second coming is the best thing, then it's something that we should look forward to, despite everything that must happen until it happens. Now let me read our next section for us, verses 15 through 35. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I'll pause again for us there. 
So Jesus, in this section, he gives us a little bit more detail about the when of his coming, provides a little more detail about some of the things that must take place first. One of which is the uh, what's known as the abomination of desolation. Now that sounds very scary, <laughs> and it rhymes, which uh, makes it interesting. Uh, but this was something that was prophesied, a reference to Daniel in the Old Testament. Now, people have differing opinions about what the abomination of desolation is. Now, some have said that it was uh, the Greek king Antiochus IV who desecrated the temple in 167 BC, that this has already happened. Some say that this is yet to happen and that it refers to the Antichrist who will come. Now, whatever the interpretation is of it, it is not good. It will cause people to flee. People won't have time to go home and gather their belongings. And here we have another reference to pregnant women. Now, I don't know why Jesus is talking so much about labor pains here, but not that this is their fault, but it is more difficult to flee if you are pregnant or nursing. Now, Jesus does point to a ray of hope here in verse 22. He says, those days of suffering will be cut short. And he says that will happen for the sake of the elect. God's chosen people, their suffering will not last forever. Their suffering will come to an end. God does not want his people to suffer forever. It's an act of mercy for them. But again, we hear from Jesus another warning of false messiahs. Many will point to these messiahs who are coming and claim that they are Jesus, but we are not to listen to them. There's a temptation to jump on board with every person who cries wolf, every person who says that Jesus is coming back or that the world is ending. Jesus says not to believe these people. Here's how we will know that Jesus is coming back. It will be obvious to us. As Jesus says in verse 27, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus' second coming will be like lightning. It will happen quickly. It will be bright. And what Jesus means by from the east to the west is that everyone in the world will see it. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not have light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will shake. This is all a very uh, bright picture. And then we will see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven, just as Daniel prophesied a few hundred years before. Jesus will be with his angels, there will be a loud trumpet call. They will gather all of those who are his, those who have put their faith in Jesus. Now, if this sounds strange to you, (laughs) that's because it is kind of strange. Jesus is trying to describe something that is really indescribable using limited human words. The words that Jesus chooses to describe his second coming are strange because they cannot fully capture the idea that he is trying to portray. But here is what we should get from this. At his second coming, all will see Jesus. All will know that it is Jesus who has come back. All will mourn because of Jesus. And he will come to get those who love him. 
But it says that, you know, all will mourn because of Jesus. Why, why will those who love him mourn as well? Because, as Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we see the Son of God appearing to us out of the clouds of heaven in this way, all will mourn over their sin when they see the one who died for their sin. All will wish that they had not sinned when they see the glory of Jesus coming back to the earth. Now Jesus, uh, if we remember a couple chapters ago, he cursed a fig tree. He points us back to that fig tree at the end of this section. If you remember uh, that story. But here we are to learn from the fig tree. We can tell by the way that its leaves come out that summer is near. I could change that analogy to our current fall season. We can tell by the way the leaves fall off of the trees that winter is coming near. So when we see these things that Jesus has described for us here, we know that the end is near. But then Jesus says something confusing. He says that this generation will not pass away until these things happen, which is strange because all of us are here today talking about this passage. So did we miss the boat? (laughs) Has this already happened? Well, it seems to Jesus that these events are imminent. Seems that he thought that they would happen within the lifetime of his disciples. So how do we reconcile that with the fact that we are still here? Are we to think that these events have already happened? No. We live in what Christian thinkers call the already, but the not yet. These events have already taken place, in a sense. The temple has already been destroyed, as I said, would happen after Jesus' death, but it has also been rebuilt. Jesus has already come in his first coming, but he is yet to come again. Followers of Jesus have already been persecuted, but they will be persecuted. Wars have already happened, but they will happen. Same with natural disasters. These events have happened, but they are also yet to happen in an ultimate way when Jesus comes back. Jesus, he goes on to explain more of the when in our next and final section. Let me read verses 36 through 51 for us this morning. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. 
It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. In an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus' message to us about when this will happen, it doesn't seem like a very hopeful one. Jesus says, no one knows when he will come back. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. He draws this comparison to Noah, uh, which when the flood came, which Noah and the ark were saved from, people were just living their lives. They had no idea that the flood was coming for them until it did. And so Jesus says that his second coming will be like the flood of Noah. It will be the end. People will just be living their lives, doing whatever they want to do with no idea that Jesus is coming back. Jesus, who is coming back to gather all of those together who love him, he will take one, not the other. One will be left behind. But Jesus, thankfully, he doesn't just tell us that this will happen without also telling us what we should do about it. Our job is to keep watch. If we don't know when he is coming, but we do know that he is coming back, then we need to be always ready for when he is to come. As Jesus says, like the owner of the house that was broken into, he would have kept watch if he knew when the thief was coming. If Natalie and I knew exactly when Bowen was coming, we would have waited (laughs) at the hospital, or we would have waited to go to the hospital until exactly that moment. Now, if you're anything like me, this is incredibly frustrating. (laughs) I love to know things. I love to know when things will happen. We are humans. This is natural for us. But because we are human... We are finite, and God is infinite. The natural question that arises from this teaching from Jesus, that no one knows when he's coming back, is why doesn't God want to tell us? Why won't God tell us when Jesus is coming back? Does God just enjoy being this cosmic know-it-all who exists outside of time and space and is just laughing at us, worrying about when Jesus is coming back? No, It's not his character. Jesus illustrates this with a story about a master and his servants. The master is gone for a long time, and it is good for those servants who are doing what the master wants while he is gone. To that servant, he will put in charge of all of his possessions. But the wicked servant, who says to himself, well, my master is gone for a long time. I can do whatever I want. So he beats his fellow servants and goes to eat with dr- and drink with drunkards. The master will come back when he least expects it. Probably when he is doing those things and he will be punished. Now let me use a different analogy. Maybe this one will be more applicable. This is a personal one from when I was a kid. My parents 
I'm glad that they're not here this morning for me to share this story. Uh, they would still be at work. And my siblings and I would come home from school earlier than them, and we would have a couple hours to ourselves <laughs> to do uh, not whatever we wanted, but we would do whatever we wanted. Now, what do you think we did before our parents got home? Right, We broke all of the rules <laughs> that we weren't allowed to break when they were there. But when we heard that garage door open and my parents' car pulled in, we ran like crazy and scrambled to cover up our tracks. Now, God doesn't tell us when Jesus is coming back because he loves us. It's actually an act of love for him to withhold this knowledge from us. And here's why. Because it would destroy us if we knew. If we knew when Jesus was coming back, we would live differently. And here's how all of us would live. We would live just like the people of Noah's time. We would be eating and drinking, marrying and giving, being given in marriage. What Jesus means by that is we would just be living our lives. We would do whatever we wanted to do, even if it goes against what God has told us to do. And then, in order to spare ourselves from judgment, at the very last moment, we would repent. <laughs> or we would be caught in what we were doing because we forgot that it has come time for Jesus to come back. Now, do you think that honors God, that kind of behavior? As Jesus illustrates through the story of the master and the servant, that does not honor God. It doesn't show that we actually love Jesus by just living however we want because we don't know when he is coming back. So here's our application as we close. As Jesus says, keep watch for his return. Trust in his authority. Persevere in his power and long. For his coming. Jesus' second coming is a good thing. It is the best thing, and we should look forward to it. So here is what it means to keep watch. I don't just mean that we should stare out a window, looking at the clouds, waiting for Jesus to come back. Keeping watch is active. It means going to those who, in the days of Noah, are living in ignorance of what is coming. Those who do not know that Jesus even exists or that he even is coming back and telling them that there is a better way, that something better is coming for them. But it also means going into my own heart to the ways in which I live like those people, the ways in which I'm like that servant who is just doing whatever he wants because the, the master is away for a long time means aligning everything in my life with what Jesus taught so that I'm ready, I'm doing the right thing when he returns. Though only the Father knows when Jesus will come back, Christians, we can have hope that his return will bring an end to all sin, all suffering in the world, all wars, all rumors of wars, all natural disasters, all disease, all famines will be brought to an end. We will all who have put our faith in him be brought together and join him in his glory. Let me pray as we close.
Father, we thank you this morning for that promise from Jesus. That his first coming was not the end. And though his death and resurrection is a great thing for us, and through that we can have salvation from our sin and be raised to eternal life in him, we thank you that there is also something better that is coming. That Jesus is coming back. And Father, we look forward to that day. We pray that he would come back. We pray that he would bring an end to all that is wrong in our world. So Father, may we look forward to that day, but may we live in light of that day. May we be like the servants who are doing what he has asked of us when he returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.